Hey, Coach Arlen here. What do Walt Disney, Andrew Carnegie, Benjamin Franklin, Thomas Edison, and FDR all have in common? They shared one secret that propelled them to achieve remarkable success. They each belonged to a mastermind group. If you've never experienced the power of a mastermind group, now is your opportunity. Join my business success mastermind group today. New cohorts are starting soon. To learn more, go to ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. The Courage to Lead, episode 208. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Arlen here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having an exceptional week. I'm having a great week and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Pierce Kukizi. Pierce served as a ranger in the 75th Ranger Regiment and U.S. Army Special Operations Unit. Throughout his deployment to Iraq, Syria, and Afghanistan, Kukizi was in charge of a team of rangers and foreign special operations forces for training, performance, and mission success. Pierce now runs a coaching and advisory company called Built to Evolve that works with professional athletes, executives, and entrepreneurs to increase health and performance using modalities such as neuroscience, psychology, and physiology. Pierce, welcome to the show. Thank you, Arlen. It's good to be on. Yeah, it's good to have you, sir. Um, love the the idea of, of tying all these things together. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent of um, everything is connected, right? Um, it's not just the physicality, it's the mental and the emotional state that gets peak performance, right? Absolutely. And you, you learned that during your army time, and now you're helping executives and entrepreneurs and stuff like that, put it all together, right? Correct. Very cool. Yeah. It's a, uh, this was really born out of the military experience and taking a look at, okay, I'm in this world there are these incredibly high performing people. They have made it to what we would, we would consider to be the, the top. They can not only perform under incredible amounts of stress and lead and the, their ability to make decisions, their ability to accomplish a certain amount of work that might seem you know, incredible to most people. But then there was the question of, okay, well, why can they always not always hold on to that performance over the long run? There was, you know, I got to witness so many people essentially drop off at different phases of training and combat and throughout their careers. And that's what really started to spark all of this, you know, mm. that everything is completely connected. And even if we may have one piece figured out, like physical resilience, it's important to have mental resilience. It's important to have emotional, it's important to have leadership skills and accountability and discipline. And it kind of opened up this entire can of worms of, wow, this is really all connected yep. what the army got right is creating toughness what they got wrong was creating resilience so mm. that's something that we can talk about but one thing that i focus on absolutely very cool yeah definitely want to talk about all that stuff how you're helping uh the people the leaders you're working with and stuff um but before we get started pierce i've got 10 questions that i like to ask each one of my guests um, these are questions listeners know uh, made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these same questions of his Hollywood guests from TV, film, and stage. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you're ready, sir, I've got 10 
questions for you. Okay. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Favorite word. Optimized. Very good. What is your least favorite word? Huh. I don't think that's something that I uh, think about often. Least favorite word. Lazy. What turns you on? The ability to grow and high adrenaline pumping activities. Cool. What turns you off? Uh, feeling stuck and trapped. Mm. With you on that. All right. What sound or noise do you love? The sound of big crashing waves. Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Uh, honking horns outside my window. <laughs> yep. All right. Question seven. What is your favorite curse word? Oof. Um, I'll go with shit sandwich. Okay. <laughs> uh, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Uh, well, I always wanted to be a, uh, a MotoGP racer, which cool. is the Formula One of motorcycles. Absolutely. Very yes. cool. What profession would you not like to do? Um, I would not like to be back in a, uh, in a government job. Mm. With you there. All right. Um, final question. If heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Everything you did was okay in my eyes. Good job. Very cool. All right. Well, we were going to uh, take a short break, but when we come back, I want to talk about how you got your start, uh, your time in the army, how you pulled all this stuff together to then put your, your program built to evolve together and some of the people you're working with, how you're helping them. And at some point we'll transition to courage and leadership. All right. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Pierce Kukizi. Good to have you on the program, sir. I've been looking forward to our conversation. Like I said before, I, I, I'm a firm believer of everything is connected. Um, there used to be a program in NCIS. Was it NCIS? CSI New York. That's what it was. CSI New York. Gary Sinise was Mac Taylor in CSI New York. And he was being asked by one of his uh, helpers, one of his people, hey, do you think this is connected? And he looked right at him and said, everything is connected. We just have to figure out how. 
I think everything we do is connected. Um, I talk a lot about in my coaching and stuff, the sales ecosystem, right? There's all these different pieces that have to be in place and they all have to play well together or that system fails. It's the same thing with our performance, right? You've got the physical performance, but the me uh, mental performance, uh, the emotional performance that all have to come together to, to make that work. And you got that from your time in the army. Tell me about that. Is that, uh, are you, do you come from an army family, military family? Is that how you got started or is this something? you No, just no, not at all. Um, which is actually interesting, right? When you think about the, the trajectory there, I, uh, you know, I had my grandparents generation, um, you know, kind of the world war two generation, a lot of people served there and it kind of skipped an entire generation. Mm -hmm. And the only people in my family now that have served in the military are myself and my brother. Hmm. Um, not only that, I did. I had nobody that I knew. It wasn't, I you know maybe it was just a factor of where I grew up and the schools that I went to, but it was not encouraged. It was not seen hmm. as a path for successful people. I didn't know anybody. I didn't see anybody go and do it. And so I kind of just fell into it on my own right? when... Hmm. You know, during my time in college, trying to find, okay, what, what really is my calling here? And the idea of conventional military didn't really stand out to me. But it, was, it wasn't until I found out about special operations, personnel, SEALs, Rangers, Green Berets, pararescue jumpers, people like that, where things really clicked. Like one of your initial questions what light, is what lights you up? Yeah. That lit me up. That lit a fire. Nice. It, was, it was almost this recognition that that is me. I just haven't gone through the steps to realize it yet. Mm. And then because of that, I saw my life without that experience as essentially not an ideal one, like something that I had to realize right at that point in my life. And I wanted to serve and give back and earn my place. And we talk about rites of passage, mm -hmm. um, all of those things, very important. But, you know, I went through kind of the typical training plan or focus, which was physical first, focus on the physical, then, you know, maybe, okay, once we get there and we're going through the military selection process, let's get to the mental. And it was just all about toughness. And that's really all that I thought about. And it wasn't until I was in uh, the selection courses, which is essentially tryouts for special operations that I started to see, uh, you know, I remember every morning, you know, 5am, we go down, we line up alphabetical, so they know everybody's there. And the two guys on either side of me were physical specimens. Um, Division one athletes. One guy had gone to the Olympic trials. Uh, they seemed very confident. And one day they just didn't show up. They were gone. Wow. They had quit. And so I tried to figure out, okay, what was the, what's the reasoning there? Why? And then, okay, I'm noticing how some people are talking to themselves and I could almost predict, okay, based on the way he's talking to himself now, he's got one week left. Hmm. And so that was my time within a selection course, understanding how the emotional experience or deep reasons for why we do something affect the overall outcome and success. The same thing happened when I started to then lead teams. You know, okay, these new people are coming to me. I have to train and lead them. Some take to it and do incredibly well. And some fail miserably. They either see what it's like and they don't continue the discipline and drive to be able to do that or something else hurts them, which could be relationships within a team. It could be their relationship 
to their family at home. It could be their emotional state, um, even things like financial troubles. All of these things of the whole person were determining whether or not that soldier could perform his duty under immense amounts of stress. Yeah. And so it wasn't, it, I learned that it wasn't just my job to make them better rangers. It was to make them better humans. Nice. And so that's kind of where a lot of the, the concept came about. And a big part of it for me too, was leaving the military and realizing that, Oh, I thought I had a lot of things figured out. I really don't have a lot of this resilience part figured out. I was tough as nails, yeah, but not necessarily resilient. Hmm. Well, and it's different too. Uh, like you said, when you when you you're in the army, you're in the military. There's a structure there, and then you come out of the military and you realize in corporate America there's some structure, but it's nothing like you might be used to. And people are promoted because they have time and grade, not because they're the best, not because they're tops. A lot of times they're promoted to get them out of the way of production, right? Um, and now you're going into businesses and, and working with executives like this, trying to help them put all these pieces together. Absolutely. That's got to be a struggle. I, and, and you built your program, right? Built to Evolve. You put this all together. Yeah, it's basically it's uh it's based on all the experiences, the experiences from the military, it's experience from transition from the military, it's also experience, you know, I also uh, acted as a coach for uh doctor of neuroscience and a sports psychologist and learned a ton from them and really spent a couple of years diving as deep as I possibly could on these mm -hmm. subjects. So it's it's all encompassing. And really the goal is to set, like, for example, when we're working with executives and their, and their teams, I am not an expert in their field. Right. I don't pretend to be an expert in their field. My only goal is to get the frame and the foundation to be as strong and resilient as possible, right? If we think of this as a car, I am putting together the frame and the transmission of the car so that it can handle any load that is put on it. And I think a lot of people do the opposite. They get the nice fancy engine and they keep adding bits and pieces and putting on more power and more power. And they have no idea what the frame or transmission looks like. And eventually something breaks. Yep. And for a lot of people and for a lot of high performers, that doesn't come until later on. I think I was just honestly privileged because the military experience was so intense and so stressful physically, mentally, emotionally, that it forced me to recognize these things a little bit earlier in life. And for a lot of people, it, it happened, they have that kind of, oh, wow moment later on. Yeah. And so whether the people that I work with have, have hit that point and recognize it or not, or they're just trying to find better performance or health or well-being, right? This is the, the idea that we look at the person as a whole uh, and we try to make sure that their frame is solid so that no matter what happens throughout their life, they still feel like they have direction. They feel the way they want to feel. They're healthy. They can lead and all of that. Yeah. But like you mentioned, uh, decision-making, that's that's tough for a lot of executives, right? They, they, they waffle. They're thinking about all the different possibilities and everything like that. They're kind of stuck, right? The, um, what do you call it? The, the overanalyzing it, right? Um when you're working with guys in the military, they're under 
pressure. They're under fire, literally and figuratively, right? Under fire. They have to be able to make those decisions, make the right decisions, lead their people, not get flustered. How do you teach that? How do you get that through? It's a little bit different than we probably would think. And I'll tell you this, right? A lot of people are, are good or executives are good at making a decision maybe in the moment or, or under stress, under fire. That's not necessarily the problem I want to solve. What I want to solve is to make sure that the decision is completely unclouded, unclouded by an emotional state that we may not need at that time. Okay. Those emotional states are often built up from, built up from their past, how things have gone at the business, how things have gone at other jobs they've had previously, um, the way they slept last night, uh, what their spouse said to them before they went to work, uh, what they think is going to happen in the next couple of days. These create emotional states. And what I like to say is that emotion always wins over intellect. Always. It's, it's, a, it's far more powerful. It throws in a ton of neurochemicals into our brain environment. And we think differently. So if emotion is there and we are blind to emotion, that's negatively impact our ability to make an intellectually sound decision, then we're not making decisions the way we truly want them to be. So even if a leader feels like, hey, I'm making, I make good decisions. I feel like you know, I'm doing well. The goal for me is, okay, can we, can we get that, make that dive? Can we get you as aware as possible so that you fully understand that every time you make a decision, you're going with it into a clear head? And I also give them tools to be able to do this on the fly, on their own, during a day. How do you actually clear an emotional response that's currently happening so that you can make a decision? Right. How do you keep your body and your mind in a state where we can do this? Hmm. So. And this, this was also military learnings, right? We were never taught anything like this. And even though, yes, a lot of the times if we had trained it enough and it fit within the tactics, the decisions under stress worked. Um, but who knows? A lot of those decisions maybe should have been made differently. Not yeah. everything went 100% smooth. Wow. And you talk about neuroscience, uh, the psychology and the physiology. Did you take any special training? the neuroscience stuff, the psychology stuff, or is that just something you've picked up along the way? Uh, it's stuff that I've, I've picked up. So no necessarily formal training, but I've had neuroscientists uh, do some mentoring, uh, a ton of studying on my own, practicing self, uh, lectures and books and all of these things. Uh, and eventually had, you know, was a coach for some of these other doctors in neuroscience and psychology, just based on not only the things that I had learned, but the ability to recognize them in practice, which I think was really important. Nice. And so built to evolve, tell me the, uh, the process you go through. If somebody, an executive contacts you and stuff says, Hey, I'm, I'm not feeling like I'm performing at my peak. How do you help them? Do you start with the physical aspects of it? Do you start with the mental aspects of it? Yeah, so we typically the- start with a, uh, we start with an assessment, which okay. allows them to understand how they're utilizing all different aspects of their body. It really gives the awareness to, okay, we're going to be focusing on the whole person here. And we need you to analyze everything. Even though you may have come to me for a work issue or a health issue, we're going to look at all of it. And 
There is no blueprint. There is no prescription. I will say it, this is all dependent on the person themselves, what's going on at the time, what their issues are, depending on the external circumstances. If I have it completely my way, we'll typically start of the baseline being physical. This is because it's my belief through experience that if the physical body is not set up in an optimal way, we could never expect the mind to operate, hmm. right? If I look at the four pillars kind of that I use, which is body, spirit, everything non-physical part of you, and then relationships and your work, uh, the body is kind of the baseline. It's the baseline of the frame. If you don't sleep well, if you don't fuel your body with proper energy, if you're not doing the things that are going to put your mind in a proper brain state, then we can assume that there will be issues down the line within everything else. We'll start there. Then we'll typically dive in a little bit more into the mind. And we will assess where the points of optimization are and then start to go down those rabbit holes. That could be more along the physical. It could be trauma, stress-related. It could be relationships-related, leadership-related. Uh, work productivity related. We, you know, we go down a million different rabbit holes and there's a ton of different tools and it's all completely, you know, for the person that I'm talking with. Nice. And about how long does that program last or is it an ongoing thing? It depends, right? It's up to, it's up to that person. I typically like to take people for, you know, we start with three months, three months, a little bit more intense. We make some big changes. And then depending on how that person feels, we decide to continue. I've had people that continue, you know, uh, multiple years at different frequencies. But, uh, you know, I, li I like to start with kind of like, okay, let's make a, let's commit to a 90 day change here. Let's test all of these processes. Let's see what works best for you uh, and then see how we want to continue. Very cool. And you've got a YouTube channel you started, right? You've got what a dozen or so videos out there now. There are some videos on YouTube, um, you know, from a little while ago, don't use them too much. As far as e-learning goes, we'll actually be launching an entirely new e-learning program that people nice. will be able to jump onto uh, on their own. And, and it will be mostly for companies, right? So if an executive comes in, um, they like the work that we do, we will have kind of a, an e-learning platform where the rest of the employees could also go through this, some to the degree of having coaches and some kind of just following along so mm -hmm. people can look out for, uh, for that in the future. Very cool. Good job. So like I said, when you're working with these leaders, um, what is it they're struggling with? I know I've talked to uh, people, you know, my clients, stuff like that. A lot of times for them, it's the communication. They're not sure how to communicate their vision. They're not sure how to communicate with the employee to encourage them, but at the same time, put them on the right path. Right. Yeah, uh, and I know communication is if you're a bad communicator at home, you're going to be a bad communicator at the office. If you yell and scream at your kids, you're probably yelling and screaming at your employees and probably getting the same reaction from them. Um, but what do you see that they're struggling with? What do they, what do they come to you and say, Hey, I need help with this. This is a funny one because people will come to me with a general rule of what they're struggling with. Health, stress levels, communication, work-life balance, burnout, wanting to figure out how to get to the next level in their career, right? Those are kind of the, your general, this is what I'm coming to you for. But then when I dig deep, I get a million different reasons of why they're at, what they're actually struggling with, right? It may, might be a communication issue, but that communication issue might be because of a, a pattern that they've had with their parents when they were growing up. That communication issue 
might be a physical reason that they're getting their nervous system turned up all the time and they can't figure out how to tune it down. Mm. That communication issue might be because they can't manage their time. The communication issue might be because they're not following the life path that they really want to follow. They don't feel like they can speak freely. Uh, they're not in the right career. Yep. Uh, there's an abundance of reasons. So to be honest, those initial things, communication, leadership, health, they're very surface level to me. And I, I try to go as deep down the rabbit hole as I possibly can to find the, the true root of these problems. And oftentimes, they take us down interesting tangents. And it's really cool to be able to put the pieces to the puzzle back together and see how that eventually affects something like communication. Sure. I know that's not a very exact answer, but that's kind of a window into the process. But I, I think that's what happens is we think this is my issue. And you start talking about it and realize, no, that's the issue over there. <laughs> this is a manifestation or a, a, one of the symptoms of it, but that's really what's happening, right? Yep. So you help them find out what the, what the root cause is and then work on that problem. Absolutely. Nice. Um, Transitioning from military to civilian life, was that difficult for you or was that an easy transition? Very difficult. Yeah. Um, I did not think it was going to be difficult, but I also, you know, I'll tell you this, that since getting out, I really have not met a special operations veteran that hasn't had, gone through some sort of difficult time within a couple of years after getting out of the military. When I got out, I went straight into this whole pandemic world which now I believe it to be a blessing because it made me face my issues much faster. Mm. Right. I didn't have, I, I come out of the military, had a job. I had these things I wanted to do. It was all distraction really. And so now I had to f deal with myself and really understanding a lot of this concept of, they call it operator syndrome, which comes, it's a military medical term essentially describing the overall what they call allostatic load, which is basically just the accumulation of stress, physical, mental, emotional, whatever, uh, on a person and how that affects you, right? Mm -hmm. There was also issues with uh, brain injury and just the mm -hmm. culture we were in, the constant stress and the, the way the nervous system is always turned up. And then other brain things like always being incredibly judgmental because that used to keep us safe. Sure. Okay. I started to realize that it doesn't only affect military, special operations, military personnel. This, this idea of operator syndrome, which people can look up, affects everybody, the professional athletes that I work with, the executives, all of it. Um, and so it was this journey to really fix myself and get my life back to the place that I wanted to, where I felt good every day, I felt productive every day, I felt healthy. That was the driving force in all of this. And once again, to me, it was, you know, it's only a negative if you don't use it as a point of growth. And that's what I really did kind of during that time. During that workout. Nice. Yeah. So using it to, for the betterment, right. Of people. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, were you an athlete in college? Uh, yeah. I played rugby in college. There you go. <laughs> that's a uh, physical stressful. Definitely. Very nice. Definitely. Very cool. Fantastic sport. Yeah. And it's fun to watch. I think. Very fun to watch. I would uh, encourage people to take a look and see if they like it over American football. Absolutely. That'd be kind of cool. That'd be cool. Um, so talking about courage and, and leadership, you've worked with leaders, you've been a leader. Um, 
you helping leaders and things like that. There are different types of courage that we tap into on a daily basis to be leaders. They're intellectual courage, right? The courage to set aside your long-held beliefs and knowledge you currently have to make room for brand new knowledge, right? That can be scary for some people to admit, hey, I don't know how to do this, right? And open themselves up. Um, moral courage, empathetic courage, setting aside your emotional uh, feelings and stuff like that to make room for somebody else. Um, a lot of these different things that we tap into. With the leaders you're working with, do you see them, do you help them find courage to make the decisions that they need to make? Do you help them find the courage to continue after maybe wanting to to quit or give up? Absolutely. Depending on the person, sometimes we'll look at, we talk a lot about limiting beliefs, which is the the parts of us that maybe feel inadequate in some way based on whatever from our past. For a lot of people, there's a confidence issue there. You can call it confidence, you can call it self-esteem, we can call it self-efficacy, whatever you want, but you get to kind of the, the general window into the picture. And this idea of building courage and confidence and competence doesn't matter where people are on the spectrum of success. A lot of times, even the most successful people had issues with these things. So I teach them how to build that confidence, not only through their thoughts, but also through their actions, the way they set up their mind, their physicality. And, you know, it's a basic human want and need to be accepted by others, to be seen, to be recognized. And a lot of these things, if that is a fear, right, it's kind of wired into our DNA, then that can hinder us on the courage scale. But really, once again, it's going back to what's, what's the underlying cause? What's the root? Where can we be able to find courage? How can we train courage? Courage is just a feeling, right? It's not necessarily defined by a specific action. So if I can train the feeling state of courage and the body recognize it more and more, and you can live in that courageous state and feeling then more often than not, then we can expect that you will make courageous actions more often. But a lot of times the decisions uh, or, or the action and, and really courage is an action, right? You, you can't sit on your couch with your feet up and be courageous. You have to act. You have to get out and do things. Is it what keeps people from actually taking those steps? Is it not knowing what step to take or doubting that they have the strength to do that, to take that step? Once again, so we come to feelings. So I would, I would argue that courage is the feeling. The action is only the action. Okay. Right. So we can call it a courageous action, but it was just an action taken under a baseline feeling and ability to be courageous. Mm. So you know, when we when we look at this as a whole, I think it's really important to understand that we can train this idea of courage. And what holds people back again is a disbelief in themselves a belief that things will fail, that maybe others will judge them, right? That this and that and the other thing, these are all limiting beliefs. And so if we can remove, we have to remove or dissolve the limiting beliefs to be able to re-emplace the beliefs of courage, whatever that means to that person. From there, typically most people know what to do, right? They, they know what the right answer is. They know mm -hmm. what the courageous action is, but there's something holding them from it. Right. It's typically a feeling state, a thought pattern, a belief. 
So we change the thought patterns, the beliefs, the feeling state. We change that with whatever courage means to them, and then they can freely move on to execute the action. Nice. Yeah, neuro-linguistic programming. They talk about maybe somebody said something. I've got a friend of mine whose his dad told him, you'll never be good enough, right? And so he's, yeah, exactly. at some point, he accepted that as the truth. And so he says that to himself and it keeps him from, from doing certain things. So yeah. you get in and help them identify where that may have come from and then how to yeah. change that. Yeah, and how we can change and heal that. This nice. is essentially, a, it's a wound, right? It's yeah. a wound that has not been closed up, healed, and integrated as part of us. Very cool. Yeah, everything is connected. Everything is connected. So where do you get your courage? Where did that come from? I mean, uh, playing college sports, rugby, that's kind of courageous. I mean, you could get injured at any second, but it's something you got out there and did. You joining the, the military, that's courageous. Going for that next level to become a ranger, which is the equivalent of, the SEAL team, basically, right? On the yep. Army side. that All of that stuff takes courage. Where did that courage come from? It's a good question on exactly where it came from. You know, it, I definitely wouldn't say I was born with it. I might even say, you know, I'm not sure how it is for other people, but the courage was born out of fear, right? There is always fear there of different things, even though, yes, I do enjoy the jumping out of planes. There is always fear. Mm -hmm. It's almost the overcoming of the fear, the want and the drive to overcome the fear to get to kind of the next level of my development was what le leads to the courage. Every courageous action had a ton of fear behind it. Joining the military, massively yeah. scary, right? But I had this draw to it. Same with playing more violent sports like rugby, right? There was always this draw. There was this Oh, it's natural to feel fear about these things, but the high that comes with overcoming them will be better in the end. So it was this projection into the future of saying, okay, once I'm able to obtain that, my entire body and, and system will feel better. A lot of it too was, you know, in the moment, it's easy to be fearful, but if you look at it from a different frame of regret, yeah. I could pre predict that the pain of regret will be far greater than dealing with a short-term amount of fear. And that mm -hmm. kind of comes through all of the courageous situations that I feel like I've gone through. And I've just decided and learned, I guess, how to make that switch and want to go for that and have a, a pillar of my being be, I want to look back on my life and not have any regrets about what I did. Nice. Right. And so for some people that might mean completely different things, but you know, for me, it was taking what people may perceive as courageous action. Very cool. Good stuff. Um, so what do you look for in a leader? What makes a good leader? This is a good question, you know, because it kind of depends on what the leader is doing, what they want to accomplish. But I think the good leader has a good awareness of themselves, good awareness of their people, the ability to freely communicate, the ability to allow others to communicate, and most importantly, the ability to instill accountability, discipline, and drive in other people. You know, it's not just cracking the whip and saying, this is how everything needs to be done, but it's, Harlan, what do you want me to hold you accountable to? 
sell it to yourself, create your own goals, right? Decide how you want to be. And then I will be here to guide and assist you along the way. Right. So it's kind of the, that piece was one of the biggest ones that, that worked for me in military setting. And I've also seen it work within the business side. Nice. Do you have any like case study you want to share? Somebody you've worked with that made incredible progress during the time with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I've, I've worked actually with multiple people that have been, they were incredible operators at their job, whether this is, some of them have been in tech, uh, some of them have been in the healthcare lane and they get promoted. They say, this, this guy has done incredibly well for us, especially people that are very technical and then they get put into a managerial leadership role or executive role. For a lot of them, it's very, very difficult to pull themselves out of the weeds right? To not be stuck in the doing. So with a right. lot of people, I really teach them your leadership and personal development progression must take you out of the doing and into the leading. What does leading mean? It doesn't just mean the best at doing something. It means that your ability to coach others, mm-hmm. you want your people to be accountable, motivated, smart, tactful, clear-minded. You have to learn how to teach that to them, which means you have to teach it to yourself. Um, so I have had multiple people go from having a ton of difficulty as they got to leader executive role and wanting to leave to eventually saying, oh, I actually enjoy coaching and mentoring kind of the, the younger, we'll say, version of me. Mm-hmm. And they've started to step into and relax into that. And it's just a bit of a tr- frame of mind. I think all humans really have a propensity to feel expansion and growth. And that's an amazing way to feel expansion and growth is to relax into a leadership position in the way that you want. Um, But people find a ton of resistance when they, they just try to keep on doing and doing to the best of their ability instead of truly leading, which is instilling those qualities in others. Yeah. And I've seen that a lot where somebody's technically very, very good at what they do. They get promoted because they have time in grade there they are as as a boss and they can't let go of the day-to-day hands-on. Here's how I would do this. Do it like this, blah, blah, blah. And you can't, like you said, you, the the boss of, or the, the role of a leader is to make more leaders, not more followers, right? You want to make the best that person can be. I know a lot of professional athletes that are great in their role as athletes never go on to be coaches because that's not where their head's at. Their head is at you know, the doing, but then you have the other person who may have been a, an okay player, but they're all about motivating other people and seeing the best in other people and bring that out. And those are the ones that become coaches. I think it's the same in a leadership role. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But I do believe that people can become one or the other, that people, whether they become the, the leader and the coach, or they become the operator is just based on whatever they have picked up along the way. And most people get very stuck in, oh, no, I'm a coach. I couldn't do. Or I'm the player. I couldn't coach. I don't believe that's true. I believe that we all have the ability to, to modify the way that we think, act, and behave. Um, that's also shown within kind of like the confines of neuroscience. If you take a look at neuroplasticity and there are things mm-hmm. that we can do to improve that. Um, and so, yes, maybe some people might have a propensity for one or the other, but it doesn't mean that they can't teach themselves the other side. Nice. Very cool. 
So if people want to follow you or get in touch with you, how can they do that? Do you have a website? Uh, I do. You can go to builttoevolve.com uh, where people can get in touch with me, shoot me an email through there. Uh, you know, I'm happy to chat with absolutely anybody. That's probably the best way to do it right now. Okay. Um, other than that, kind of the, the other channels will be coming in the future. Um, but yeah, the, the best way now is to get, get in touch. I'm happy to chat with anybody. Uh, we can talk about personal solutions and solutions for their team. Awesome. And your programs, are they uh, virtual? Are they live? Or do you work with people in like, it? do you have a, I don't know, not a dojo, but a, a workout area or something like that where you bring them in or do you go to their offices and work with them? Um, no. So, you know, right now, most things are virtual. The coaching, a lot of it is virtual. I do speaking engagements and trainings virtually, but I also do some in person. Um, you know, companies will bring me out and we'll do speaking engagements and trainings or offsites and, and things like that. Um, but the base of it is virtual to begin with. Very cool. Good stuff. All right. I will make sure that the links to all this is in the show notes. So people know how awesome. to get in touch with you. Are you active on LinkedIn? I am. Okay. I'll make sure that that LinkedIn profile link is in there too. Pierce, good to have you on, man. Really appreciate it. Thank, Thank you, so you so much. much. I really appreciate it. Yeah. All right. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good information here. Definitely check out builttoevolve.com and follow Pierce and see what he's doing and, and uh, keep up. And yeah, when you whenever you get that um, online training stuff available, um, I'll update and put the, the links out there. Yeah, so, absolutely. I appreciate okay. it. It should be coming in the next couple of months. Very cool. Good stuff. All right. Uh, listeners, make sure you share this episode with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me, Coach Harlan, saying so long for now.